I appreciate Robert building the anticipation that way. <laughs> Hopefully we can live up to it, right? The gospel reading today is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Truly a confusing parable. So let's read it together and give ourselves over to this world for a little while and see what Jesus is saying about his kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them to his vineyard. And when he went out about uh, nine, nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go to the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go to the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers, give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, Jesus says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. Any of you recognize the name Rudy Rudiger? Any of you? I bet every sports fan over the age of 30 actually knows uh, this name because of the movie Rudy. Uh, and it is, it is a beautiful movie. If you haven't seen it, um, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings is a football player in high school, and he has this dream of going to Notre Dame and playing football for Notre Dame. The problem is he really is sized like a hobbit. He is five foot six, 160 pounds soaking wet, and that's just not going to happen, right? So the first challenge is he's not Notre Dame material academically. And so uh, it turns out that he's dyslexic, and so he has a learning disability. He spends two years in community college working his tail off, just trying to meet grade level to maybe transfer to Notre Dame. So eventually he finds his way to Notre Dame. He gets accepted to Notre Dame. So he's a student now, and they have a walk-on policy, so he tries out for the team, and he does not make the team because he is five foot six, 160 pounds, and that's not going to happen. But he does make the practice team which means that he spends his entire college football career getting pounded by the varsity squad during practice. But every day he goes out there like he's playing for the Heisman Trophy, and it's practice, and he is just getting his, 
tail worked over and he's working hard in school to keep his grades up, this whole thing. By the end of the movie, it's the last game of the year. It's his last game in his senior year. They're playing Georgia Tech and they have been stomping on Georgia Tech all year long. And all the Georgia folks said, amen. Uh, and, and so Notre Dame is winning. It's a clear victory. It's the last kickoff of the game. And the crowd starts chanting. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. So the whole crowd, whole stadium catches on to the chant. Coach says, all right, put him in the game. So they put him in the game. He plays one down. The coach says, whatever, stay out there. The last play of the game. Do you know what happens? Georgia Tech hikes the ball. Quarterback steps back. And Rudy comes out of nowhere and absolutely cleans his clock. And he gets a sack. And that's the end of the game. He's got one stat in his career. This is a true story, by the way. Rudy Ruger has one stat in his career, and it says one sack versus Georgia Tech. He was carried off of the field by the players and the coaches. He is one of only two Notre Dame players to ever be carried off the field by his peers. Why? It's a great story, by the way. Great story. Uh, men, you know, this is some controversy about whether grown men are allowed to cry or not. No matter what your stance is, all men are allowed to cry during three movies. It's Field of Dreams, Terminator 2, at the end, don't question it. At the end, the thumbs up every time. And then Rudy, when the crowd starts chanting, Rudy, if you're not crying hot man tears, there's something broken inside of you and you need to work on yourself. So it is an emotional story. It's a beautiful story. And we love it. It's, it's sort of the version of this parable that we like. Okay? So Rudy is, you know, the, the one hired least. He's the least likely to ever be a Notre Dame football player. And then he goes out there and he proves through hard work and dedication and a ton of heart that even the least of these can achieve much if they work hard for it. It's sort of like the American dream. Right? Which is, if you keep believing in yourself, if you don't stop believing, and if you work hard enough, and if you keep believing in yourself, and you don't give up, then you can do anything you want, if you want it badly enough. That is like the plot line and the morale, the moral lesson of every single children's movie that I've watched with my kids over the past seven years. You just got to believe in yourself. You just got to believe in yourself. Don't give up. Uh, so my generation, we were sort of raised with that, right? If you can do anything if you want, as long as you believe in it, as you work hard for it, and if you follow your dreams, you can do anything. And it's a nice sentiment, and it, it gets at sort of our sense of fairness. If I work hard, then good things will happen. If I don't work hard, then good things won't happen for me. That sounds fair. But the problem is, this parable is not fair at all. And I'm not being cute here. I'm not going to come back in the 11th hour of the sermon and, and show how it's all fair in the end. There's no trickery here. This is not a fair parable. It's not fair in the slightest. Um, if you just think for a moment about what it's like to be a day laborer in that society, then no doubt you will see how this is very unfair. Imagine being one of these people. You have no opportunities your family, you were not born into anything that you could ply a trade. So you're not a fisherman. Your family isn't fishermen, so you're not allowed to do that. Your family has no trade, no business, no anything like that. They don't even own land so that you can work your own family's farm and increase your estate that way. You were born poor, and you will probably die poor. And so the only option you have is to be hired every single day by the pleasure of someone who decides to give you money for a hard day's work. So they show up before dawn. 
so that they can be there when the masters come out hiring for whatever work that hap- there happens to be that day. So, as luck would have it, this guy is hired first that day, and he goes to the vineyard, and he starts working hard. As the sun is coming up, he's pruning vines, and he's building barrels, and hauling barrels, and filling barrels, and rolling barrels back out once they've been filled with wine. He's tramping out grapes, he's pulling weeds, he's doing all of this stuff, and it is hot out there, because it's Palestine. And I've done a little bit of research, and it turns out Palestine and Dollywood have about the same heat index every day. Um, So if you've ever been, now you know what it's like. Uh, Hot, hot, awful work. And so the master goes and hires more people uh, about noon. And this guy has got to be thinking, good, because there's way too much work to be done here. That sounds great. Let's get some more workers on this thing. So he goes and hires them, and they're still working and sweating and His feet are starting to get tired, and the master goes out and hires more people, to which he sort of says, whatever, it's his money. If he wants to waste it, you know, for three hours of work, that's fine. What's it to me? Uh, And then he goes out again one hour before leaving for the day. This guy's hands are all raw, and he's got a fresh sunburn on his neck from being exposed and all that sort of thing. God comes back for one hour of work. He gets there just in time to wash off all the tools and put them in the shed, and then it's pay time. And that guy gets paid first, and he gets the same exact pay as the guy who's been out there since dawn, busting his hump? That is not fair, not in the slightest, and there's no way that you can make it okay and fair. It's just not. How in the world can you say that was the same thing? What was that guy doing all day, the one who was hired for one hour of work? Who knows? Was he taking a nap in the afternoon? And he gets paid for that. He gets paid for taking a nap. Was he shooting dice with his buddies out there and seeing if they could make some money that way? Were they drinking wine all day? Did they take a walk over by the sea? I mean, what in the world were they doing all day? Why would I waste my time working all day if I could have laid out there for most of the day, came and washed tools, put them up, and got a full day's pay? What is the point of that? In seminary, uh, you have to take a couple of languages. So you have to take Hebrew and Greek, and the rule of thumb is you're going to like one and and you're going to hate the other. So I like Hebrew. Hebrew made sense to me, oddly enough. And then Greek was Greek to me. Yeah. (laughs) Great joke. Great joke. Anyway, so I took Greek class, and it was a a three-hour-a-night, once-a-week class. So three hours, you're absorbing this foreign language, and then you don't touch it again for another week until the night before, and you're like, oh, I got to cram so we're working hard in that class. Our professor's pretty tough. So we've got flashcards because the nouns do funny things depending on where they appear in the sentence. It's called declensions. And the verbs do funny things. So you've got to learn conjugations and, and different tenses of aorist and uh, pluperfect and all of these horrible things, right? And not to mention you're learning a foreign language. So you've got to, you've got to learn a foreign alphabet and foreign words. And so there's just flashcards everywhere all the time. And we're sort of drilling each other all week long to try to keep each other accountable so that we can make grade and pass the course. So we're doing this one day in the student lounge when another student asks us, man, you guys are working hard at it. You must really like, are you going to be professors one day in Greek? And we're like, no, we're trying to pass the class. What are you talking about? And he's like, really? We have open book tests in my class. And I was like, oh, hold on, hold on. Did you just tell me that you have open book Greek tests? Yeah. He says, yeah. And we all put our notes in there too. So it's open book, open notes. I was like, So we go armed and ready to our next Greek class. All of us are like at 11. Our our upset meter is all the way full. 
Uh, and we go in there and we wait very patiently. And so we ask our professor, we said, we heard, very subtle, we heard the other class gets to take open book tests. And he says, what's your point? And we said, I, may, maybe, we could, maybe we could have open book tests, just thinking out loud. And he goes, no, that's not going to happen. And we're like, well, that's not fair. If the other class gets to have open book, open note, why shouldn't we? And he just shrugs and he says, I guess that's the difference between the Coast Guard and the Marines. <laughs> Point of clarification, that is not my joke, that was his joke, that was my Greek professor's joke. Nothing but respect for the Coast Guard. Here's, you understand what he's getting at though. The idea is the Marines are trained harder and they work harder and therefore their honor or their respect is higher than the Coast Guard whose reputation is they have it easy. That's not true, but anyway, that's the joke there. We did not have open book tests. And so I, we all worked hard in our section, and it was not fair because the other class did not have an asterisk by their Greek grade saying, by the way, there was open book tests here. Our, we got the same grade, whether we got an A in there or an A in there, it doesn't matter. It turned out to be the same, which was terribly unfair, but that's life. It's not fair today in Greek class, but this parable isn't fair then either. And it would have scandalized that audience too. When Jesus tells a story, everyone's going, that makes no sense whatsoever. Why would anyone do that? So here's the thing. It's not fair, but that's what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. He tells this parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, um, is like a, a, a master who goes out to hire people and he pays them all the same amount no matter when he hires them. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is not fair. It's something better than fair. The kingdom of God turns out to be generous and good and full of grace. Payment is not tied for the owner upon their performance. So it's not based on how much money they're making the owner. It's not based on how hard or how much sweat they poured into his vineyard that day. He pays them based on not what they produce, but on the fact that they are human beings who needed to be in the vineyard that day. They needed to be in the vineyard that day. And that's what he pays them on. Based on their worth, which is not based on their mechanical production value, but on who they are. That's a radically different sort of world. Many of you probably know I did not grow up Baptist. I grew up in another denomination. That's not important. I have nothing against my former denomination. That's not true. But anyway. Uh, so I grew up in a more traditional, hierarchical sort of denomination. Uh, and, and how it worked was very simple and efficient. All the members had absolutely no say whatsoever. <laughs> the staff made all the decisions within the church, but that was dictated by the senior pastor who reported to a denominational official who you go up the chain that way until you get to the bishop for your area, the bishop. The bishop made all decisions. And so if the bishop said you couldn't do something, you don't get to do it, period. It doesn't matter what your church feels about it. You're not doing that thing because the bishop said so. So uh, how do you get to be the bishop? Well, you, uh, you're probably the most educated person uh, in your region. You have uh, the most experience 
Um, you have been in the most places, had the most training, have the most denominational loyalty, all of these things. And that makes you qualified to be able to make all of these decisions, which does make sense. You have to give it that. It is fair because why would people who have no clue what they're talking about be given an equal say with a person who's been working their whole life in that system? It makes sense in a certain sort of way, except most of the people in the church that I grew up in had never met the bishop and rather resented him because they didn't know who he was. They didn't know his name. They had never seen him in their church or in their community. So why should some person who has never, ever been here be able to tell us what to do in terms of ministering in our community? That doesn't make sense, they said. And they were pretty bitter about it. And I was too. I didn't like that very much. I didn't really do any research into the Baptist way of things until much later in life. I was already grown. And uh, most of what I had heard before then was sort of jokes and bad ones. How many Baptists does it take to screw in a light bulb? 20. You need one person to screw in the light bulb and the others serve on three different committees to decide about the placement of the light bulb, that sort of thing. Hardy har har, right? Great joke, yeah. But I started actually having interactions in Baptist churches. And I remember going to business meetings on Wednesday nights in the sanctuary. And everyone was looking at their watches, uh, waiting when we could go to dinner, when this whole thing would be over and we could actually go and eat at some point. But everyone was there. Everyone was there for this meeting. And that really struck me as odd. Why would you do that? I was there one Sunday morning when a layperson, after the service, we had a full worship service, a layperson came up to the pulpit scooted the pastor over, got behind the microphone, and laid into the whole congregation. She was at full volume, yelling at everybody about what the church was doing wrong and everything. And I was like, who left the mic on for the crazy lady? That doesn't make any sense at all. You don't do that. Why why would you let her keep going? That doesn't make any sense. Pastor, you needed to step back in. I remember uh, at the business meetings and, and at special occasions, the pastor was the moderator, and so he would stand behind there and he would call for the vote. But it wasn't the pastor who made the decision. I remember several times he was overruled. He gave his opinion, and the congregation was the one who had the final say in the matter. And it was striking to me. And it took me a long time, but then I began to figure out what made these Baptists so peculiar. It was that they really believed that everyone mattered. Every single person there mattered. And it was striking to me. And when I, when I finally got that settled into my brain, I was relieved. I was like, that sounds like the kingdom of God. That sounds like my best understanding of what the kingdom is like, where everyone matters. Not just the educated, not just the professionals who have spent their lives doing religion work. Not just the elders in the church or the people who have served the longest. Everyone matters. What a beautiful thing. It is often slow, as it takes three committees to decide where the light bulb goes. It can be messy at times, and we all know about that. And it can be terribly inefficient in places, but maybe that's okay too. Because the system values people as more than simple means of mechanical production. It's not just what you do for the church. Every person matters. You know one of my favorite things that I get to do 
is when I get to sit down with baptism candidates, and most of them are young, right? So they, you know, they come with their parents or their grandparents or whoever, and they sit in my office, and we talk for a little bit about what baptism means, and then I get to tell them the thing that I love to tell them. This is my favorite thing, and I tell every baptism candidate this. I said, you matter, you count, as soon as you're baptized, you count just as much, you are just as important in this church as your parents or your grandparents, and their eyes get, they go big. And their parents' eyes narrow over the top of their head. What are you talking about? But it's true. As soon as you're baptized, as soon as you're a member of this church, you get one vote. And that's just as much as your parents get. That's just as much as your grandparents get. Even if they built the place, they get one vote. These workers were paid one coin, one denarius, one day's wage. No matter what they did, how long they were there, how hard they worked, they all got the same We get one vote, and that means everybody matters. I always tend to read this parable from the perspective of those who are hired first and how unfair that is. But what if you switch it? What if you actually uh, map out the, the day according to those who are hired last? He was there at dawn too, only he wasn't picked. And so he had to wait around hoping that he would pick up another job. And when no one else came, he started the slow realization that today was going to be not such a great day. Nine o'clock comes and goes. Noon comes and goes. He almost got hired at that session, except someone elbowed him out of the way and knocked him to the ground. And now he was absolutely sure he was going to have to go home and tell his family once again that he didn't have any money to buy any food today. And he couldn't imagine the shame that they were going to feel in the marketplace, whispering, knowing they didn't get any work this week. But still he stayed. He stayed all the way until an hour before sundown when the master came back and hired him, finally. And he got to go to the vineyard. And it was almost sundown, and so the sky turned these beautiful colors in the vineyard, and it was absolutely amazing. And he worked, which is all he wanted all day long, was just to work. And he got to work for one beautiful hour in the vineyard. And when the end of the day comes, and he's thinking he's going to get a couple of bucks in his pocket, he gets the whole day's wage? What do you think he goes home and tells his family, his neighbors? You won't believe what happened to me in a place I can't hardly describe today. It was such a beautiful experience. What does he say? And more importantly, what would that look like today? What would it look like if we really made people matter? Not for what they can do for us, but for just who they are and their value in the kingdom. When I was a youth minister, we used to do this thing, um, all kinds of different fundraisers to raise money for mission trips and things like that. And the youth would do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, one, one year, I got it in my head, we're going to do this thing called Hire the Youth. And church members could hire the youth to do anything, really, to wash windows or <laughs> show them how to use their computer or, you know, any, any, wash a car, whatever, whatever. And so there was one guy in our church, he was known as the colonel uh, because he was a colonel, uh, and he was a big muckety-muck in the military. And so he hired uh, four people to work in his yard one Saturday morning, and this is in South Georgia. So this, is, this is hot. This is uh, Dollywood hot. And so we, we go and we work. It's three kids and me. I'm there and we're working all morning long 
pulling weeds and, and doing all kinds of stuff in his yard. And he's, he's rough, man. The colonel is, he's military, so he's like, you're going to work, okay? Uh, so they worked, and a lot of these kids have never worked that hard in their life. Uh, maybe I hadn't worked that hard in my life. I'm not going to say that. But, um, so we get through with the day. We go to lunch. He buys all of our lunch, and then he's sitting there talking. And he asks the teenagers, he says, what should I pay you today? And they're all looking at each other, and they're like, this is really awkward. Um, I guess whatever you f- feel is fair, sir. And he goes, no, 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 You're really bad at this. I'm asking you what you think I should pay you. What do you deserve? And so once again, they're looking at each other going, I really don't want to answer this man because he scares me. Uh, but one of them does and says, how about $50? And he goes, wow, you are really bad at this. There are four of you that work for four hours today. If you divide that up, that is less than minimum wage. He goes, no, you worked way harder than that. You're worth more than that. Those were the exact words he said. You're worth more than that. He said, normally, when I hire people to come and work around my house and do hard work like you did this morning, I pay them $10 an hour. So each of you would get, if you worked four hours, $40. But let's just round it up to 50 And you could see their eyes getting big. They were like, whoa. And uh, so he said, if you multiply that by all four of you, that would be $200. And they were very excited about this. And he said, but I'm, you're raising it from mission trips to go on passport and all these things. I'm going to double it. And they stopped eating their lunch, which is like a really big deal for youth. <laughs> uh, they stopped eating and they were absolutely flabbergasted. $100 a person, they started to figure out. And you could see it settle on each of them. There is no way that any of us earned $100 for a morning that we probably would have slept through any other day. You could see it come into their eyes because some of them had worked a whole lot harder than others of them did, and yet they all got $100 a person. What the colonel did that day with a yard and a checkbook was helped these young people to see that they were worth something, that each of them mattered. Not for what they did, but for who they are. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It's like a generous landowner who pays us well beyond what we actually do. The kingdom of God is the place where everyone matters. And Lord, may your kingdom come.